Well, I guess the good news is they, they didn't quit this time, uh, but the results still not very good for Florida State, coming off a 47-28 to 28 loss to NC State, uh, and really just outmatched in every facet of the game. Uh, Chris, you were up there. Let's uh, let's get this off. This is the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee. Uh, general thoughts and takeaways from what's another double-digit loss in a row for Florida State. Uh, just They're not a very good football team. Yeah. <laughs> not not to be hard simple, to say otherwise. Not to be simple, but I mean the positive of the day was that James Blackman played pretty well, excellent going down the field. FSU hit explosive big plays, which is how you go after NC State, especially in the passing game. Defense really didn't do anything of consequence all day. FSU played an undisciplined, idiotic game largely, where they self destructed in many ways and put themselves in bad situations. And we can complain about officiating, which wasn't good on the day, but yeah. it doesn't matter. FSU is what they are when it comes to collecting penalties. They've done it two weeks in a row with 16 penalties in each game. No matter how much you think the officials hate them, FSU hates themselves more. And uh, in general, special teams is a colossal mess. And the fact that they still employ Alonzo Hampton is still embarrassing. And that's not changing until the end of the year. Well, why not? He's not really earning his keep right now anyways. Pay him to go away. Um, And just in general, they're not a very good football team. And I'm not really of the opinion that they have a shot at winning another game this year. You have to go up to a good Notre Dame team this week. It's going to be snowy or at least icy and windy and... Uh, for a team that runs the ball well versus a team that doesn't run the ball well, that's a recipe for disaster. And then your two games remaining are at home, Boston College and Florida. But I think Florida's the best chance of getting an L win, personally. Yeah. I, I don't think very highly of Florida having all year. I think we saw in their loss in Mizzou that they have plenty of their own warts. But right now, FSU is just not a very good football team. He's not playing very good football. The defense is getting worse by the week. And, you know, they're exposed. Teams know exactly how you go against them. You line up, you look for number 19, you throw it at them, and you beat them. And, you know, FSU, their run defense was kind of the stalwart of that defense, and it hasn't been very good recently. I mean, NC State kind of ran as they wanted to. It wasn't a lot of huge runs, but they took what they wanted to. They did it consistently. They kept them off balance. Ryan Finley stayed clean, which we knew was going to happen because NC State has a capable offensive line, and he gets rid of it quickly. He's also a guy that has a great presence on the field and understands how to handle that position. He's a veteran in that regard. You know, I just I, – I left Carter Finley convinced that FSU is a pretty awful product on the football field. There's not much good right now, and I think the disturbing thing – is you've been exposed back-to-back weeks. Losing to Clemson was expected. Having the worst program loss or worst home loss in program history, not expected. But but Clemson's a machine right now. They're rolling through people. They're hitting their peak at the right time of year. Uh, that at least can be rationalized to an extent. Over the last 105 minutes of football, FSU has given up more than a point per minute. It's not good. Uh, and we'll get into... The defense, which has taken major steps back and, and getting to some of the reasons why to that in this podcast, but I think what we want to go over here is a blend of some of the stuff that, that you saw, Chris, in the NC State game, but but also some of the big picture things of, of where this program can can get better because right now it's, it's bleak. Uh, you have, again, Notre Dame, and then if you got Boston College, say you lose Notre Dame, so then you got Boston College, you got A.J. Dillon, 230 pounds of that battering ram, on a three-game losing streak. Uh, so that could easily be a four-game losing streak. And then you have and Florida beat. at home to, to finish the year. It's just the, Willie Taggart 
and we'll get into this about him making the move from you know play calling to uh, to give that up to to Walt Bell's game. But Which he's going actually was a highlight of Saturday. I, I thought that made sense. Um, it shows a willingness to bend and change and try to do what you can to try oh. to stir it and get it better. And that's a good thing going forward. The macro view, you know, going beyond this year, that's a positive. And we, I think we've said before in the podcast, and I know I believe, and I'm pretty confident you and Josh both believe it, and we were surprised by him giving up play calling. But Willie is a guy that will change things. Mm-hmm. Giving up play calling was literally the most extreme thing I didn't think he would change. The fact that he's willing to show that shows that he's certainly willing and able to make changes. He has at every stop of his career. Um, it's just a matter of pushing the right buttons when the season wraps up and I don't know what those buttons are, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I can figure it all out, but hopefully Willie has a good pulse of this team and how he needs to move forward with trying to improve the product after this season. I think that's what's significant about that change to give up, at least for the rest of this season, uh, to give up play calling to Walt Bell because that's something that Willie was super adamant about coming into his job, the job at Florida State. This is his dream job. He's had success calling plays since they went to the Gulf Coast offense in 2015 at USF. And his whole thing was if you know if this doesn't work out, it's going to be on me calling the plays. So him seeing that this team it needs him beyond just being, being a play caller, and you know, that obviously wasn't working out tremendously, uh, but knowing that, that this team is in certainly need of, of someone to, I guess, be mindful of, of the temperature of the, the locker room, uh, seeing how guys are responding, because that was something that Willie was really respond or really concerned with after the Clemson game was how, how guys responded to adversity and thought they took a step back. I think that does show that, that he has his pulse on the team, but, but again, with this, his finger on the pulse of the team, but with what's coming up in the next three games here, uh, there's a really legitimate chance that you can lose a good portion of this locker room if you're not careful because losses are probably going to mount. Maybe things drastically change. I don't want to rule that out, but right now I think odds are that you, you're going into every single game here remaining as the underdog. Uh, so then if you're talking about losing the, the, you know, ending the year on a five-game losing streak, uh, that, that's problematic, and that means that Willie's going to have to be really diligent in how he, how he builds this team up and keeps guys engaged not just for this year, but, but for the future, for the livelihood of, of his coaching career at this university and, and for the program to keep moving, you know, to, to find a way to move in a, in a positive direction. Yeah, you can't allow this year to permeate into the future. Nope. It has to be, uh, you know, it is what it is. Try to take the gains you can get out of this year and then move on from there. You know, just kind of figure it out moving forward. And that that's going to be key for FSU. We'll see if they do it. What was crystallizing to me watching, and I wasn't in Raleigh, I was stuck at home dog sitting, um, so you, you were up there. What was crystallizing to me, Chris, was that, and I wrote about this after the game, that there were issues coming into this year that have been pronounced and been magnified in the last couple of weeks, the offensive line being one. Uh, they've maximized the most they can out of that group. Uh, yeah, the, the, Minshew getting hurt. Yeah, they fell off a say. cliff. I mean, it, Minshew's had his own issues, and that group's no good even when Minshew's in there. But, man, they were awful after Minshew Maybe got banged up. That's arguably their best lineman this season uh, to, to leave. And he actually ran behind him for a nice little gain on the first drive. And then he leaves the game, and, and it kind of bottoms out. But Yeah, they, it was funny. They had three rushes early on that were pretty good. Yeah, it looked like it. Obviously, Patrick's fumble was disappointing. But they ran it okay in the first quarter, and then they just completely went away from it. And then the sack numbers going in there make the total look horrible. Yeah. 
but they had three runs of 10 or more yards, and I think their first six or seven carries of the game, you know, they could have run the ball if they didn't get down 17 nothing and basically have to play from behind the whole entire game. Yeah, they, they dug themselves in an early hole and never could get out of it. They're not a team that's talented enough to, to mount a big comeback like that, I, I think, at this point, at least against a competent team. Um, so you have the issues with the offensive line. I thought the linebackers played probably one of their worst games of the season, if not their worst. They, you know, outside of Dontavis Jackson, I don't know what you have there that, that you can actually legitimately build around. DeKalen Brooks doesn't seem to be progressing. Uh, seems to be looking lost from, from what I can tell. Jaden Woodby is, you know, it's a true freshman playing in a position he's never played in before, and, and that shows you see some good moments, and then you see bad ones like that penalty against uh, – or the penalty in what was it uh, on sportsmanlike conduct when he suplexes he, the guy after the play? He actually recorded a five-yard tackle for loss, yeah. but according to Brian Burns, did not hear the whistle. Running back still chopping his feet, so he finishes the play on the sideline, throws him, and picks up the flag. Um, and like that's the thing. Like, yeah, maybe that's exactly what happened there, and Woodby's not really at fault. But the issue is we do it. More than a dozen times in a game where you self-destruct and do stupid things as a team, you hate yourself. You 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 can't be bad and stupid. Bad and stupid equals you get your ass kicked like they have the last two weeks. All right, well, let's talk about the officiating real quick because I know that's something that a lot of people wanted crappy. to talk about. The officiating was poor. The the terrible. The not calling a pass interference when Tamarian Terry is getting and that was clear. He's getting pulled going I downfield. That needs to be called. The Stanford Samuel Samuels pass yeah, interference. Yeah, I thought it was atrocious. That was Leonard, bad. Leonard Moore got his jersey snatched up on off the touchdown on the pitch play and they didn't call it. Yeah, they were horrible crew. They were awful. But you James know, James Blackman got his head ripped off on one. So, yeah. so there's certainly things that didn't go against him and not. But yeah, to your point, Chris, when you have 16 penalties, even if a quarter of those aren't your yeah. fault, or you are, still had 12. Yep. And guess what? Yeah, they're, you can't, they're you can't afford it. They're you second to last it. in penalties per game this season. That's not a people having a vendetta against Florida State because. Oregon was last last year. They've not had a game where they've had less than six penalties this year, and I think they've had three or four games now where they've had double-digit penalties. You can't walk through the door known as a team that plays a soft, sloppy brand of penalty-riddled football mm-hmm. and expect to get the benefit of the whistle. It's just not going to happen. You can think it's a conspiracy against FSU, but FSU's created the conspiracy against themselves if you want to play that game. FSU's put themselves in a position to be picked on by officials because they play a sloppy, un, un, uh, what? Undisciplined? undisciplined version of football. <laughs> this is a sloppy, undisciplined podcast. I'm tired. I rode in a car for 17 hours to go watch that crap fest. <laughs> You know, I'm, and you get to fly up to freezing uh, South Bend uh, well, in a couple least, days. At least Chicago's redeeming. Uh, I heard there's a pretty good. I'm whiskey. not hate on Raleigh. There's I actually good, like Raleigh. There's a good whiskey like bar the up there. Uh, I don't. Know, but I really like Chicago though. Uh, so that brings me to to <laughs> to full point here. Uh, so there's deficiencies that were very very clear with personnel, and that stuff that was problematic entering the year. It hasn't gotten a whole lot better. You can get frustrated with coaching development there, but those are talent issues that. Is tough to fix in one year. On the other side, there are the discipline issues. That's something that coaching can fix and can take care of. Not getting plays in it on time has been something that's happened. Ten, you're, you're, ten on the field for special teams. Twelve on the field on the after giving up a touchdown. Yep. Um, substitution issues happen consistently. Having Penal- to call timeouts out of timeouts. Yep, or having to call a timeout after a change of possession or you something can't like do that. that. So, so when people, and I feel like there's people on our message board, and it's very polarizing right now. Surprise, message board polarizing. Here's the thing. People can 
take us up on those comments. Willie Taggart's making those same comments. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how it's a loser version of football. It's a bad version of football. He's talking about how his team likes to blow their own foot off. That's not our opinion. Yeah. The damn head coach is saying he's right, and he's one who can change it. But there are some guys on this team who can't be changed. That's one thing we've obviously learned three quarters through the schedule. You know, Nyquan Murray's going to give you an effort here and there, but you can put the ball in the bread basket and he's going to drop it in the end zone. Keith Gavin's going to make a nice play in here and there, but he's also going to run the wrong route. He's going to be a multi-year veteran who's going to run the wrong route. Some guys just can't be fixed. You know, I'm frustrated. Uh, no. I'm, I'm FSU football. I'm 100% frustration, 0%, you know, finishing it out. I think the big miscalculation, there's been so many miscalculations, not so many, there's been a handful of miscalculations, but they've been big ones. And yep. I think the biggest one and the one that, you know, as we look at where Willie has his program now and, and maybe where, you know, if we look back in a couple of years is is the standard that he set or the, the mindset that he set coming in thinking that this was going to be retooling, not, not a rebuild. rebuild. It's uh, 100% a rebuild. It is. And whether that was him, well, I think some people think it was just him blowing smoke and gassing up this program, trying to get confidence back, and maybe it was that to an extent, but I know that he didn't think it was going to be this. Yeah, and he's he's said a couple times during the season and in recent weeks even that it was a miscalculation on his part. Yep. He, you know, I don't, I don't, coaches always are going to talk about how great the offseason is. That's natural order, but he did not think they were going to be 4-8 and eight bad. Yeah. I he, think he, he thought they were going to be more likely 8-4 and four decent. Mm-hmm. So, yep, he miscalculated there. Um, the O line stinks. I, and, I think it's tough to know how bad the O line is until you face another opponent. I think that's one of those that sunk in by halftime at a Virginia Tech game. And it, when your O line sucks, as FSU's O line sucks, um, and I hate that word, but I mean, let's be honest, they're they're abysmal. They're the worst power five offensive line in America, maybe the worst one in college football. They're dead last in the country and have a great lot. That's yeah. tackles for loss and sacks and any play that happens behind them. But they're left. Good, good luck trying to game plan. Yeah. Like, the, the ability to game plan, and there's things you can try to do to game plan around it, things you can do to kind of negate it. But when you're trying to game plan for 60 to 90 plays in a football game and your offensive line is just what this one is – you're kind of dead in the water to some degree, and that that's you're stuck in neutral. You can't go anywhere, and it, it's bad. I mean, Blackman got whacked five times for sacks, probably enough five times beyond that, and maybe one or two was Blackman's fault. But in general, it's just you're standing back there waiting to get hit, and we saw that with DeAndre. And I thought Blackman did a better job than we ever saw DeAndre do this year of moving the pocket, around. stepping up in the pocket, extending plays trying to avoid hits, but also standing in when he had to and delivering the ball. I thought he did a very good job of that on Saturday, but it just doesn't matter. The O-line's horrible. Yeah, it, they're bad. Zach Allen's going to eat him alive. Jerry Tillery's going to eat him alive. Jerry Tillery plays for Notre Dame. Zach Allen for uh, BC. Ja'Kai Polite for U.S. probably yep. going to have a field day. There's just guys that are going to take it to them, and it's like they got to be you know, licking their lips, getting ready for those football games because they know they're about to go against some dudes that are going to eat alive. They're, it's like receivers lining up across from AJ Westbrook right now. <laughs> they just know they're going to be able. To, Kelvin Harmon one time went downfield and just took what he wanted from AJ Westbrook. You're all over the place, and I like it. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what direction to take it now because you're talking about the secondary, you're talking about the offensive line, talking about James Blackman. Uh, let's stick to defense. I like Blackman. No, 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 no we'll get to Blackman. We'll get to Blackman. Uh, defense. I just think the defense is out of gas, and the secondary's been exposed. I think Louisville exposed the secondary for the ability to kill them on the seams and kill them at the safeties. Work to the middle of the field, and they've slaughtered them. And the corners have been good at times, but 
you know, there's only so much I can do. And the problem is people are like, why is A.J. Westbrook playing? Because Who the next option is Cyrus Fagan, and he's played equally as bad this year. Uh, so the, the, the people who are getting mad at Harlan Barnett right now, and, and I, there's things tactically that he, he could certainly help himself out a little bit, but what, what do you want the defense to look like right now? Um, the safeties aren't anywhere as talented as their star rankings led to believe. The one thing I think you can criticize Harlan at is for a guy whose reputation was being a technician with the defensive backs, the technique hasn't been very good. No. Guys haven't played the ball very very well in the air this year. Uh, but everything that you're doing on defense, there's so many layers of deficiencies right now other than Brian Burns and Marvin Wilson, I think, are your steady constants. And, but, and if Brian Burns can't get to the quarterback, which he has in the last couple of weeks, and that neutralizes your, your top strength and Marvin Wilson doesn't start. But my point being, uh, you look at the defense, the deficiencies they have, they rob Peter to pay Paul with everything that they're doing. Like, there's yeah. nothing you can do. The linebackers aren't good. So you try to help them out by making them really good against the run and have them trigger downhill all the time. Well, guess what that does? That leaves room in the secondary then for teams to pick them apart. You want to move Stanford Samuels over to cornerback? That makes sense. But then guess what? You're stuck with A.J. Westbrook, who I think is a good situational safety. He shouldn't be on the field every single play. Hampson Nazaruddin is not a great cover safety. There are issues personnel-wise that we didn't foresee being quite this bad. I don't know what you can do play-calling-wise to fix it. Yeah, and the other thing with the defense beyond all of that is that there's just there's no band-aids. There's no way to fix things short term. No. Uh, other than start Martin Wilson, that's something I don't really understand why FSU hasn't done it. But whatever. Go um, to Emmett Rice more and just see. But I think they don't trust his leg or his knee. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what the personnel fixes really are. They're limited. They they look like a tired bunch who you know even though the effort was there largely against NC State, NC State took what they wanted. They scored on. What, nine of their first ten possessions, punted twice on the day. One of those came in garbage time when they had, you know, a bunch of Chris knees on the football field. It, it just you're, – you're, you're in deep trouble when you can't stop anybody. In, in 106 points in the last seven quarters. 106 points. FSU hadn't given up that many points in back-to-back games, I believe. And I, Corey Clark looked this up because we were chatting about it. was in the it. 70s, Presbyterian. right? I think it was 73. I mean, come on! What are we doing here? Like, like, do something at some point somewhere. Either you can give up eight hundred yards, but create a damn turnover once in a while. Like, do something. Uh, Make that backpack actually come into existence. As much as we hate it, I'd really like to see it right now. But again, like, what, what can you do? Like, like the de- so here's the, I wrote this about the defense after the game. I think I could have done a better headline, but I use the word drain. You know, the FSU's defense is drained right now. And that's what Brian Burns said about the penalties, uh, because they are draining when you have those penalties. Now I disagree with him that that they were they were all bad. Like none of them came on third down. <laughs> that was a narrative that was uh, beaten and incorrect. The penalties are draining. FSU the, was actually good on third down. They just rarely got to it. Uh, they were good, but then also uh, NC State was four, or three of three on fourth down. Yeah. So they really on third and fourth downs combined gave up forty two percent, which is not not sustainable. Um, I think with with the defense, there are systemic issues that you've been having to fix from previous regimes. That's part of it. There's personnel issues. Again, I just don't know what what can be done. And then going on top of all that, when I say drained and say they're tired, 
you know, people want to point to the first drive, and it was a bit, they're not they never have a good first drive. I feel yeah. like other than the Clemson game, they usually don't play well. But but when you're on the field as often as the defense is, and when the average starting field position is literally the worst in the country, it is. It's dead last in the country. Teams are usually starting at around their own 36. That means they only need to get a couple first downs to be in scoring position. When that happens. There is a defeatist mindset that takes over, and people want the coaching staff to fix that. Man, I played on a defense that's like that, a good, adequate defense that has to play alongside a porous, terrible offense. You know what happens after a while? You just break down because you're on the field so much. Emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever, it happens. Uh, And that's the sum of all these parts now we're kind of – I think feel like what we've seen the last couple of weeks are catching up to Florida State. NC State scored equal to most points they scored in the first quarter this year, scored the most points they have in the first half this year, and the most points they have in a game this year. They scored every quarter 10 or more points. Yeah, you, just, you can't win football games when you, no. you know. Nope. Nope. It, it, uh, it's putrid. They're, they're not a good football team at all. The – Let's talk about James Blackman. Well, we'll save that for last because going off of okay. So I don't what, get why in the post. No, let's get to Blackman. Okay. Let's do this. I'm ready for it. All right. I, like I don't that. get why in the post game press conference you just you just say that's already we're going forward with him. He's he not going to say it today, well today either. We're, no, he's not. We're recording this on Monday morning before his noon. Yeah, and Willie um, spoke to the Jeff Cameron show. Yeah. Tom Lang always nicely sends me the audio to make sure I hear it. Um, and he was asked about it and said essentially we're going to evaluate it throughout the week before we make that call. I don't get it. Like, I understand you lost the game. James took it as hard as anybody after the game, talking about really you know, not caring about his individual performance, that he was disappointed that they took an L. But he played well. He put you in the best position. And truthfully, it seemed like your offense played the best and definitely had the best rhythm I can recall mm-hmm. seeing in recent weeks. The, the end results weren't always great, but the optics. Take that one off the plate. Just be yeah. like, he's our dude. We're going with him. If it means DeAndre checks out or whatever whatever happens so you have I'm, three games I'm left and you're that. probably losing all three anyways yeah. you might as well see what you have with the younger guy who actually looks like he's a better fit for the supporting cast mm-hmm. i agree with you tomorrow and terry dj matthews need to play a lot if you want to play knife one murray you can mix them in but when he drops balls that are literally put in his hip pocket he probably should go sit on the bench keep gavin running keep the gavin route. whatever we're done there um just like there's other guys let's see what they can do yep um and Trey McKitty, I was happy to see him get targeted more very early on than he has in recent weeks. I think that's a good thing for the offense. Rushing attack still can't do it, and the O-line's bad. So the offense obviously is kind of, you know, it is what it is. They might be able to throw for 400 yards, but they may finish the game with 350 total yards of offense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we saw uh, against NC State. No, I, I'm, I'm very much so a proponent of seeing what you have at this point. Now, that doesn't mean you just play freshmen just to play them, but for the guys who, like a Keyshawn Helton, who keeps showing you little glimpses here and there, you got to keep going to that well. Treshawn Harrison, keep going to it because he could do something special. At this point, like if you're playing Keith Gavin for 20 snaps in a game, what's it like at that point? Why not just put in Warren Thompson for 20 snaps or 10 snaps? DJ Matthews targeted 12 times, 10 catches, 133 touchdowns. Some of that in garbage time, in all fairness. Eight but. targets, five receptions, 142, two touchdowns. He also had one where he didn't get the PI, which was a phenomenal catch on his part. Keith Gavin targeted four times, one reception, 11 yards. We're in the wrong route on a very crucial down late in the game, or later in the game. Nyquan Murray targeted six times, two receptions, 35 yards. Dropped a ball that was literally perfectly put in his hip pocket. Bread basket throw, great throw, drops it. Trey McKitty, six targets, five receptions, 57 yards. So looking at that, yeah, you're giving these guys chances. Who's cashing in on the chances? Play those guys. Yep, I, I agree. I, I think... 
I'm probably going to try to kick the tires on writing this for the week. Uh, I like that Willie has made changes. He's shown the willingness to make changes with personnel. Uh, the most notable one with him this week, given a play calling. That's good on you, man. Like, that's important. You can't be late, though, to making the changes. Um, and it's easier for, for me to come here and say that because I don't have the consequences of having to deal with the locker room or, or players. But, but to me, on the outside looking in, uh, there are some obvious personnel changes that need to happen, and he's kind of going into it lukewarm, which was my concern a week ago when we had the podcast. And just move on from who you need to move on to. Uh, Terry's going to be here next year. Matthews is going to be here next year. Blackman will definitely be here next year. Trust those guys. That, that's the beginning of a nucleus of an offensive talent group that you can build around. Trey McKitty definitely going to be here next year again. Mm-hmm. I just let, let's do that. Offensive line, go out and – Recruit 15 guys and find five that can play football. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of is that. That's where you're at. You need to figure out w- what is good for 2019, where do we need massive improvement, and to really address in recruiting and pursuing, you know, grad transfers and those types to make us a better football team in the short term to try to, you know, swing the momentum back towards rebuilding this program. Yeah, I think that let's finish off this podcast by talking about the possible fixes, and this isn't that. We have probably haven't planned enough for this, but I do think that that's something we should discuss is what you can do the rest of this season to kind of set up a decent momentum beyond wins and losses because, again, I think those losses are going to come. What can you do to make this a healthy program going into the offseason? Except that you probably will lose, play young guys, give them a chance, show that you're playing young guys, sell that point, market that point. Go out and recruit your backside off and get offensive linemen and linebackers and make sure that you're preparing for the future and that you secure the class that you've already got because there's multiple DBs in that group that are going to help you early on. Yeah. There's some defensive linemen that can help you. Obviously, trying to close on a guy like Thibs is important. He probably steps into a role similar to what Brian Burns is, not necessarily Brian Burns of this year, Brian but what Burns Brian is a Burns freshman. was for his career. Yeah. Um, you know, Go out and do that. You got you got to find success with that, and be willing to cut bait with some guys. Mm-hmm. Like don't if you might lose a segment of a locker room with some veterans, but you know what? They're veterans. They're going to walk out of that locker room pretty soon, and you're not going to have to deal with them anymore. Figure out who Willie's got till 2020. No matter what, in my opinion, he's got that three year window where I don't think he's touchable unless it's catastrophically awful or something major off the field was happened. Yeah. So you got the 36-month window. You're essentially about 10 months into that window now. You still got 26 months. So build for those 26 months instead of worrying about the next month. This is what this is what Willie Taggart was brought in for. Um, oh, to be able to make a major evaluation of your staff and figure out yeah. who who deserves to have a job and who is completely dead weight that isn't helping you as a recruiter and or as a coach. You're not good enough as a football program to be able to carry dead weight yeah. on one or two. Everything needs to be maximized right now. It would be better right now for FSU to hire someone as a special teams coach who could solely only recruit, who had no clue how to coach, yep. than what they currently are doing at special teams with that coaching position. <laughs> Does it really matter? But I'm just saying, yeah. that from but, the, it's about value. You need the 10 spots to all hold some kind of value for you. Right now, your special teams coach holds no value for you. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter the actual special teams results is what I meant to say because it's it, this is a bottom you know 20 percentile Um in the country for special teams. So putting – and then Alonzo Hampton is also – what's his recruiting ter- territory? Is it Broward? Uh, yeah, he's down there some, and then he has ties to like Arkansas and I think Louisiana. Yeah, I think you need to find someone who can 
be a dog on the recruiting trail uh, with that role at this point. Infusion of talent. This coaching staff wholeheartedly believes um, it's about Jimmy and Joe's, not X's and O's. They need to infuse talent into the program. Acquiring talent is the most important thing right now. They know that. They can't wait, I think, to hit the recruiting trail. Uh, so maybe not making a bowl game would actually be advantageous in that. And so you can kind of start evaluating a little bit. I mean, do you need another freaking 15 practices with Nyquan Murray, man? <laughs> do you really need that at this point? <laughs> Letting go of the bowl streak is not easy to I, do I when it's older than you are as a person. I understand. <laughs> I got you. I'm just saying. Like, but, yeah. It, it's, For the long-term health of the program, like, I think – None of the situations that or scenarios that we're laying out are good at this point because yeah. you're kind of packed in. So what right now is what we're trying to present is where you can go that can help you get on track. Yeah. And, um, and being able to go ahead and cut bait, open up. You know, originally you and Josh were thinking what 25 man class. It's probably gonna be well, no, early or 20, on, early or 20 on, man you know, class, right? 15 to 20 type. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's gonna swell beyond yeah. that. I think it's gonna be at least a full class of 25. And at least if they purge a bit and get some early enrollees, you can push that number slightly over 25. Yeah. I, I think that's what you need. Uh, you need to embrace the youth movement at this point if you're Florida State because right now what you have going isn't great. The fact that Willie has, you know, this season has used the, the term mentally weak, fragile, quit for some guys. Uh, at least he's showing awareness that it's like that, but you got to start showing signs of being able to fix it too. Yeah, I just, I, I'm under no illusion that, that they have the ability to do that. Right now, you got to be able to infuse talent into this program. We knew the second half of the schedule was brutal. They showed slight progress closing out the first half of the schedule. There were going to be lumps and there were going to be losses in the second half, but they regressed so far in the second half, and that's yeah. the biggest concern. Is like you can lose all day. You were going to lose to Clemson all day. NC State was going to be a tough win. There's a difference between losing and just getting absolutely walloped and whacked and destroyed on the football field and looking uncompetitive and being accused of quitting in the Clemson game, it doesn't fly. It's not the way you build for the future. Mm-hmm. It, truthfully, you go into the offseason with a really sour taste in your mouth and some major concerns about the roster you have and how it's going to essentially move on from what it just experienced in that span to close out their season. You know, Willie has done these reclamation projects before. This Western is different, Kentucky. Well, let's set that up. Western Kentucky and USF, very different. A lot um, less pressure, first and foremost. Yep, he had more time to be able to – and I won't even say more time because USF going into year three, he was – Hot seat or us. Cooper get off yeah. the – Yeah, they, yeah. If they lost that Syracuse game. The reports were that that USF was done with him. Uh, and he ends up – the Gulf Coast offense takes off after that game, and it's – you know, that helps – He's here now. Large it writes a story to this point, yeah. yes. Um, but you didn't have the pressure that you do now. Because now when you lose and you look bad, like how you did when you were at USF or Western Kentucky when you are only winning a couple games you know, that first year, uh, the national media focuses on it. You get game day pieces with, with them basically laughing at your program. That resonates with people outside your program. I'm talking about recruits or people who are paying attention, you know, for recruits, runners, whatever. Look at the, there's it makes it tougher to sell, um, and you can sell early playing time, but like you said, Chris, the optics of how you're losing, not that you're losing, how you're losing, that makes it more difficult. So while Willie has had success with these reclamation projects, one he didn't sell this as a reclamation project. I think that's problematic with the fan base, uh, and then two, there's a lot more pressure on him now than there ever has been at any other stop. Yeah, and it's going to be a crucial off season from roster turnover and from coaching staff. 
figuring out who's got value and who doesn't and what works and where we're going directionally with what we're going to do on the football field as a staff. Very important in that regard. And, you know, the toughest thing for FSU is that FSU fashions themselves as elite. They Mm -hmm. talk about the standard. That's all well and good. I've got no issue with it. It's a great brand, and obviously it's lived up to that for many decades. But the problem is the minute that you lose that, and recruits take notice that maybe it's not an elite program or they don't believe they can be part of a rebuild or that simply the other option is better, it makes it really hard to get back there. Yep. And they're not yet at that point, but they are approaching that point. And last season has to do with that, and this season has to do with that. And it's one of those things where they got to stem the tide of that and show signs of growth and get buy-in and have the right kind of player coming in here consistently with the 19 class, the 20 class, and setting the stage for the 21 class for it to go the right direction. Or otherwise, we're going to be having a very similar podcast in 12 months, and we're going to realize that basically at the end of next season, Willie will have six games, whether to determine he's the coach here long-term or whether it'll be done with him after that third season. I think the silver, I agree. I think the silver lining, if you are Florida State, is again, not a great situation to be in, but... At least Florida and Miami aren't running away with it. Yeah, I mean, currently UCF's running the state. Don't you celebrate. I'll punch you across the face. <laughs> and the other two are you know, not in a very good spot either. But the problem for FSU is that it very much feels like it's stuck in reverse and that it almost can't figure out how to try to stem that and get away from it. Yeah. I know Florida got rolled by Mizzou, but in general, Florida looked like a better football team through a majority of this season to this point than they did last season. Much more functional. Miami was very good to open the year, played FSU, and then they pulled their normal post-FSU <laughs> self-destruction course. So it is what it is with Miami. I mean, Mark Rick's a conservative play caller, and they kind of have screwed up how they've handled that quarterback they situation. They didn't have a quarterback, which is um, a problem. So, yeah, that, that helps FSU. But the problem for FSU is that they still have to recruit against Georgia, who's obviously going upwards. Alabama, Bama, Clemson. who's the best of the best. Yep. Clemson, who's right there behind Alabama. And they want to get those kind of guys. Those are the kind of guys that are going to help them achieve their ultimate goal of being ACC champions that can play in college football playoff and compete for national yeah. titles. But the issue is right now FSU is so far away from playing for an ACC championship that it's like baby steps to try to run a mile. And Part of this, too, as we evaluate Willie and what he's done in year one and year one starting to, to wrap up, it is incomplete because I want to see how that recruiting class finishes. That's why he brought in Willie Taggart. He wasn't regarded as a great game manager. Uh, he was an adaptable coach who could you know, run a program in a way that is liberating for players and just different than how it was previously. Uh, and we'll see whether that that works. But the bread and butter of what he does is recruit. Yeah. He was recruiting his ass off at Oregon. He showed signs of that with the end of last class. Yep, so um, so we'll see what he can do. Like you say, Chris, that makes it the, – the recruiting pitch gets harder when – forget the winning and losing. When you're losing like how you are, that, I think that yeah. makes it a little bit tougher. Um, but let's wait until February, until we – you know, if he comes out and has a, it's a top 15 class and it doesn't have enough game changers, then I think you start getting concerned. But Dino, right now – Davis, Putnam. Yep. Figuring out the offensive line, whether through JUCO's transfers or somehow a high schooler that opens back up who's high quality, those are the type that will very much create the judgment of this class. And, oh, yeah, also getting linebackers. Yeah, yeah. linebackers would be helpful. And keeping a guy like Deloach, I mean, that's that's trending 
in a negative fashion. Michigan and Auburn's made it more interesting than it probably would have been three weeks ago with mm-hmm. him. I still think at the end of the day, Kalen ends up probably at FSU, especially with him and Curtis Fan being closed. That helps and him understanding the need FSU has. But, I mean, here we are talking about the concern now with Kalen Deloach, who before he stepped on campus at Michigan this past week in Auburn was just a slight concern, and now the door seems a little more ajar than it was a week ago. And I don't know how many big-time linebackers you're legitimately in there for at this point. That it's seems not like a great year at the position yeah. here. I mean, the best of the best is like N'Kobe Dean's. You're, you're not in that fight anymore. So there's a big gap between N'Kobe Dean and that second tier this year. You know, there's a couple options they can get, but there's not a ton. It's not a fruitful market. We'll see what Willie can do on the recruiting trail. Again, I think that's give it until February until you start really formulating your opinions on on where the direction of this program is. But I certainly understand why people are frustrated right now. The on-field results have been porous. Uh, They've regressed in a lot of areas, and and that's concerning. I think we're both on the same page, Chris. Youth movement makes sense, at least committing to the guys who who are showing you that they're willing to kind of buy into the way you want to play football. And if you can do that, great. If not, um, yeah, move on from the guys who aren't doing it. It's basketball season. With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone, Chris Snee. Thanks for joining me. We'll uh, talk to you guys next time. Remember, five-star reviews.